The arsonist had oddly shaped feet. And that is the first line recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the first episode of Cinema Decon, deconstructing and overthinking the movies of our younger years. My name is Steve Epley, and on this podcast, we will revisit the movies that we keep in the back part of our minds as flawless masterpieces, untouchable by any criticism, and hopefully they stay that way. Join us as we rewatch a randomly selected movie from our list of 300 plus from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. A little about myself, I come from a small town in Illinois where I developed a sincere affection for many classic movies as I grew up and then went on worldwide travels. Eventually landing here in Atlanta, where I met my co-host and partner in pop culture, Aaron Harned. Mr. Aaron, tell our listener about yourself. Thanks, Steve. Well, I come from the wonderful world of Oz, also known as Wichita, Kansas. Uh, grew up there, high school, college, etc. cetera. Um, did a lot of world travels for a while. And just like Steve, I ended up uh, landing here in Atlanta through some mutual friends. And that's how Steve and I met basically bonded almost instantly over pop culture, uh, nerdology, geekhood, pretty much anything movie, music, TV related. You know, 15 years later, we decided to actually talk about it openly. Or or live, for that matter. Live, recorded it in front of a studio audience, at least. Yeah, Aaron and I met through work and eventually went on many travels together in and out of several countries. At its core was always just movies, talking about movies, quoting movies, and somehow comparing every situation we were ever in to a movie. Yep. We have spent many a night in the same foxhole uh, discussing movies, TV shows, pretty much anything pop culture. Uh, there have been several conversations entirely in movie and TV quote. Yeah, for me, it was either the, the old VHSs from the, the local gas station rental uh, back home in Illinois or or even better, the, the hard drives overseas that had a plethora of quote-unquote legal movies. You know, I'm sure they were all acquired in the proper format, but a, a lot of those movies are where I caught up as far as the, the late 2000s, the shared hard drive. Uh, of course, as we all know, everything acquired overseas by military and defense contract personnel is completely legal and, and above board. But I'm with you. It started at way early days, uh, way even back in the days of the wonderful Sony Betamax. See, I never had the Betamax. Yeah, the Betamax didn't live long in our household. Uh, <laughs> we eventually got a VHS because that's what all the cool kids were doing. And uh, Sony went the way of the Dodo, unfortunately. It was a much nicer format to play around with at the time. But that's what happened. I got lucky in 1990 when we moved from one small town to another, but I had a friend who had the the magic black box who was uh, building his library. And so at 10 years old, uh, a neighbor down the road had just any movie you wanted, you know, with just completely ripped from the local, not blockbuster. Uh, that takes me back. Uh, growing up, like in the high school eras, I had one of my best friends, Molly, that worked at our local blockbuster. So we basically lived in and out of that blockbuster every weekend i just i honestly remember growing up and hitting the local we didn't even have a blockbuster by our house it was a one-off like movie gallery or hollywood video i want to say 
And I'm pretty sure I ran through the entire collection of Friday the 13th, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil Dead, pretty much all the campy 80s and early 90s horror movies over and over and over again. Uh, There may or may not have been a few Transformers, the animated series rentals, pretty much anything I can get my hands on. And the movie. My first horror movie rental that I remember was Ghoulies. And there's a reason for that. My This is in 1984 when it came out on VHS. So I was four years old. My parents rented me Ghoulies. But there's a reason. Because my older uh, cousin recommended Goonies to my parents <laughs> that they should rent that for me. Mistakes were made. <laughs> I have not watched it since. And I, I hope it's not even in our list. I don't know if it is. But I don't think so, but I might have to add it just because of that soundbite. <laughs> I may have to add it just because I of eventually that watched Goonies and fell in love with it. But yeah, Ghoulies was was not what we were <laughs> expecting. Yeah, this doesn't sound right. It would be even funnier if it was in the Goonies box, but had the wrong tape, like would happen quite a few times back in the old DVD and uh, VHS rental era. Well, in my little town of, of 300 people at the time, there was only one place to rent movies. That was at the local gas station, Jack's Gas. And if you could get any sort of new release out of there, that was an event. They usually had two, maybe three of the new releases because it was only just, you know, a, a single, you know, three feet of a wall of just a couple movies to rent. That was it. And then, you know, say 10 years later was when we got a, our blockbuster uh, imitation, which was called Video Vision. And there you could rent Nintendo games too. So that was, that was big time. That reminds me of another story like from my childhood when I was in maybe the end of elementary school or early junior high, there was another friend of mine. I honestly can't remember his name now, but his parents ran the little one-off video center store down by my father's house. So he got all, he could just walk in and take anything he wanted at one point. Uh, He may or may not have slipped in some more mature titles from time to time. Um, I, of course, being the gentleman, never partook in any of that. Any of the other movies, we went, ran through a lot of movies and a lot of obscure Nintendo games that I would have never paid to rent at the time because they were just really weird stuff. Did you have the uh, the old video store that had you know the saloon doors in the back or the curtains? You know, now that I think <laughs> you, about you it, walk, you walk by and you just you just kind of try to try to sneak a peek later through. and walk, looking back on it, I remember thinking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The obsession started way young with uh, just an absorbent amount, a plethora, if you will, of availability of weird and odd movies almost for free. And that got me started. He's actually the one that got me. Uh, I remember the first movie we ended up watching was Tremors. And we actually grabbed the TV and hoisted it on top of a a uh, building to watch it on the building to get the whole feel because part of in a lot of that movie, they're all standing <laughs> on top of buildings that kind of gave it a little, uh, not inception authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, it definitely put us in the series cause that it wasn't the first time I watched it up there, but we watched it maybe the second time up, uh, up on, a, on an actual roof. So at a minimum, this podcast gets us the ability to rewatch all these old classics. I mean, that's, it's really the point of it all. All these other things about, you know, developing our, you know, does, does this something hold up or, or, you know, is this joke bad now? It's really an excuse to watch old movies and talk about them. Yeah. And hopefully some people listening and enjoy the conversation.
Yeah, I'm basically using this podcast as an excuse to just continue binge watching all the movies and my kid uh, as from when I was a kid and under the guise of making sensical dialogue about them later, uh, most of which I just make up off the top of my head. There are a lot of classic movies that my wife has no desire to watch with me. <laughs> I love her, bless her heart, but she has no desire to watch some of these old absurd you know, comedies or, or, or relive my childhood. That's fine. Yeah, I disagree. Uh, she is required. She is required to listen to the podcast and provide a five star review on iTunes. Well, you got to have standards. Uh, so I reach out to Aaron. Hey, you want to want to start a podcast? We're going to watch old movies. Yes. Twisted my arm. Many, many, many seconds of deliberating on that. So, so the way I was envisioning this is, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, you got a little bit of intro music, and then hello, welcome to the whatever episode, Cinema Decon. You give a greeting. Then we give a spiel of what, what we are, especially this first one. You know, we'll talk, probably talk a little longer about what the project is for and what we're uh, you know, trying to do. In my vision, I was at, you know, say some, sometime in our late teens, in the 20s, is where we develop actual taste. Much of, of what we're going to watch, we haven't seen since those late teens, 20s, since, since mm-hmm. that turning point. Uh, like I said, about 26 of them, I haven't seen at all. Yeah, there's quite a few of the ones you had that I, I know of, I've heard about. I just, they never made it into the rotation. There are lots mm-hmm. of good podcasts out there as far as that do this already. And you listen to one, you're like, you know, they're missing this. Or, mm-hmm. oh man, they're they're so wrong about this scene. Yeah, so I mean, hopefully we're not double, just completely doubling up on something that's already been done. That's the only thing. Oh, there's, we are. <laughs> We are, but but a lot of them are film people. Yeah. Like when I did my uh, artistic and, film mm-hmm. film thesis, I I learned about the Coen brothers, or I learned about Citizen Kane. Like, no, nah, I just watched the movies, and I just know yeah. if they're good or not. Underqualified overthinkers. I can watch an old movie and say this is terrible, but I'm in, I'm having fun. <laughs> I mean, uh, half, and the, then, uh, half the movies on our list would probably classify as terrible movies. Oh, absolutely. Some of the best absolutely. some of the best movies on that list could be terrible movies. Probably C- more. Coneheads itself is a 5.3. <laughs> yeah, see, I can already, yeah. <laughs> Today's movie is the 1993 movie Coneheads, directed by Steve Barron, starring the incredible Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. Aaron, what do you remember about this movie? Primarily, I remember a lot of people not wearing hats, uh, mostly because they can't seem to find any that fit their giant heads. Um, I also remember a lot of but people. But they had the making, sex rings. They had the sex rings. A ring is not a hat. I've, we've had this conversation before. We cannot replace <laughs> rings and hats. I don't want to go over this again. Um, I also remember um, it was a very progressive movie where nobody even wanted to bring up the concept of having an oddly shaped head uh, for fear of offending the other person. So it was kind of the woke movie of the mid 80s, mid 90s, mid 80s, mid 90s. It was ahead of its time. I can't even, I can't even count. This is how little. Yeah, early 90s. Something like that. We'll cut that out. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to cut that out, are we? So, do, you remember, um, do you remember seeing this movie at all? I, uh, yes. I do remember the first time seeing this movie. I actually saw the movie well before I saw the original uh, skits on SNL. Because uh, like back at that time, I didn't really listen to SNL that much, or listen to SNL. I didn't watch I SNL that much. Looking back, it surprised me because when I did start watching SNL, it was the original crew for the longest time. 
I mean, it was always yeah, I, renting I knew the VHS. Of them. Yeah. I knew of the Coneheads. I knew of Gumby. I knew mm-hmm. of Bill Murray's Lounge Singer, but I had never seen them. The fair, yeah, the Steel Martin Pharaoh and yeah, Chase tripping over everything in the intros. That's how I got introduced to SNL. You know, you had the great stuff back then with Wayne's World and and then Coneheads and the Pharaoh. But I, yeah, I had not seen any of that before the movie came out. So I was definitely behind the time. So this was definitely a home rental for us in the, uh, in the early nineties or mid nineties. Mm-hmm. I just remember seeing it. it I, I remember seeing the, uh, the VHS box, you know, the, the family watching it, mom, not laughing, dad laughing. And I absolutely remember watching this by myself. Uh, this would definitely not be something like my mom would have, uh, been watching. I could see my dad laughing at this, but not my mom. There's only a few things. I like a few little standout things. I remember from the movie itself. One was obviously the chewable contraceptive fad that never took off as much as I hoped it would. And then the <laughs> other was the battle cry from the ages, the old Narful the Garthog. Narful the Garthog. Which, which is still what one should scream at the top of one's lungs at the moment of climax. I mean, I do it every time. So might explain why I'm single, but, you know, that's another conversation. Yeah, we'll have to dive down that rabbit hole another time. Yeah, uh, next week we discuss that. I do remember this is the movie that uh, I first heard Tainted Love. Yes, uh, it did a lot. It did very good for this for that song. I will well, it had say. a great soundtrack was, in general, the Red mm-hmm. Hot Chili Peppers, and playing that one song. You know, yeah, you know that it. song that they sang. That song, yeah, that one song. Exactly. It wasn't Tainted Love, though, was it? Because that would have been weird. That is a cover I'd like to hear. Although, I, I, yeah, I was going to say, although just having an entire soundtrack of multiple bands covering the exact same song would be kind of funny in itself. So, so it, I, you have not seen the Conehead's video for Conehead Love then? Okay, so we're going to have to add another you have homework. video you have, to this. You have apparently. homework. It is on YouTube. You have homework to do for when we come back. We'll go I get your thoughts on this that. YouTube. You'll be amazed. Is it from France? <laughs> Do you expect this uh, to live up to any childhood nostalgia well, memories? Uh, definitely some uh, nostalgia. Uh, I'm not, obviously, so Dan Aykroyd and Jane Kern's delivery is just one that's timeless. It's not going to grow old. It's going to be funny probably forever. Um, I cannot remember the actress that plays the daughter for the life of me, but I don't, I don't see like her influence in the show really standing up out as much as Dan Aykroyd and Jane. But I, I would, I would assume this one's going to, this one's going to stand the test of time from a comedy perspective. Definitely. I think it's going to be enjoyable. I I think it's going to be a good time. And I think it's going to make, make us cringe at certain points as far as, some comedy that doesn't hold up, but just the performances. And because if I remember right, you know, Jane and Dan give it their all. They are mm. committed. They're, there's no even hint of breaking what they're doing. And Dan Aykroyd has a great time. This is his niche. Oh, yeah. The, the goofy sci-fi. So I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, good. It's I'm a good, good choice for our to... first one. So hopefully it won't suck. Knock on wood. All right, we will come back after we head out and watch Coneheads. Nerf of the garden. Grid-like breakfast slabs, extruded mammal tailings, seared strips of swine flesh, and flattened chicken embryos. I will enjoy it. 
What is a seven-letter word for a tomb in ancient Egypt, which is a quadrilateral masonry mass having smooth, steeply sloping sides meeting at an apex? A flindar. Ah. Good morning, parental units. Don greetings, young one. What would you like for consumables? Pop-tarts, chicken embryos, seasoned patties of ground animal flesh? Mm, I'm not really hungry. Just some tang. Ah, tang. The drink the astronauts took to the moon. Astronauts to the moon. <laughs> Aaron, Coneheads, what'd you think? Well, almost as good as I remember it, honestly, after after watching it. I haven't seen it in maybe 10, 15 years. I was pleasantly surprised. I really did not expect it to be as funny as it was. I was expecting it to be a bit stale and, you know, the same joke for an hour and a half, but it, but it really wasn't mm-hmm. 100% because of Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. And I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. One thing I definitely did not remember was the sheer amount of Saturday Night Live and other comedian cameos in this movie. There's Tons of cameos. List, huge list of really good cameos. And a lot of them were just one-offs. Uh, they'd be in one scene and that would be it. No huge splashy scenes. Uh, as you said, I assumed that it was going to be uh, like the pop culture references and everything were going to be a little dated since the movie is several decades old. The jokes about them being from France, I just assumed it was going to going to be the same thing over and over again. And then Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin started talking and just it it completely clicked. It was an, uh, it was amazing. Yeah, I loved it. A lot of the cameos were just so subdued. You know, right off the bat, you got Michael Richards. It just, I'll I had no, no I, I didn't remember the beginning at all. You know, the Twin Towers in the background, and then Michael Richards is a motel clerk, and he's not Kramer. He's not George from UHF. He's just quiet. Exactly. Michael Richards, Phil Hartman. Oh, it was good to see Phil Hartman. Uh, Phil that was Phil. Uh, Sinbad out of nowhere. Yeah, Sinbad uh, out Adam of nowhere. Adam Sandler in a big thing. And Adam then, Sandler uh, was one of my more favorite cameos in there because it was just enough of his early shtick mm-hmm. with the way that conversation was going, uh, getting him the uh, his fake documents. Uh, just just enough. <laughs> it didn't get mm-hmm. it too old. Tom Arnold's was weird. Tom Arnold's was really uh, Tom Arnold seemed to be the only person in the in the Coneheads universe that thought the shape of their heads was abnormal. And he was an asshole. Really said, yeah. It, it wasn't some... And the, the one person, say, in the entire movie that did notice it, and they had to make him an asshole, which was kind of <laughs> odd. And a complete one-off where he was done. That was it. He said, hey, weird head. And then turned around and left. It even called Chris Farley chubby. Yeah. You know, just right... Uh, that, that was an odd cameo from him. And then the, the, uh, a lot of the little uh, mini cameos, like Drew Carey as the cabbie, cu- the cab customer, his, his first cab customer, um, and Ellen the, DeGeneres Ellen. as the swim coach. Her first TV role, I think, or film, oh, film slash TV role. I think. Hmm. One thing I never noticed that Tim Meadows was in there. He, he was the first one killed in the in the arena. Yes, I had a joke about that the, with the black guy dies first. <laughs> That's one, of, that's one of the tropes that uh, yep. just will never get old. <laughs> not to not to sound yeah. not to sound bad, but that's just that one just keeps going on. Well, I, and you I say you watch the movie and you're counting you're counting the cameos and you just hey look it's him hey look it's her hey look it's Tim oh Tim oh Man, why why they have to? And then they threw in Jason Alexander with hair. I almost didn't recognize him. 
hair. <laughs> hair. I like how they make his toupee a joke, though. <laughs> Turns on the lawnmower, he's holding it. Yeah. I honestly wouldn't have recognized him if it weren't for his voice. But to me, the, the two that I like the most, uh, aside from obviously Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, is the dynamic that Michael McKean and David Spade had. I have so much love for Michael McKean in this movie. He was great. He is very dedicated to being that, you know, that, that corporate not like government, really. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's that government agent that must get his guy, and he's not breaking that at all until he gets a promotion. And he's like, yeah, screw it. And then he's, whoop, see you later. <laughs> Yep. It's like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy well. <laughs> and then, like you said, uh, off to the side, David Spade, we know that guy very well. That character that's the, he mm-hmm. is the the corporate lackey. <laughs> the corporate lackey, the corporate kiss ass, uh, tries to take credit for literally everybody's work. It's like, ooh, he's he's not in a good mood. Let me, you better give that to me. And Oh, hey, sir, look what I found. Uh, one of the funnier scenes I remember from those two were I want to say it was it was near the end after his promotion fell flat at the hands of another SNL cameo in the name of Kevin Nealon as a senator in charge of the senator uh, INS. Yeah, after he's kicked back down to have to solve this INS issue with Family Conehead, he and David Spade post as Jehovah's Witnesses to tr- to try to get invited into the Conehead's house and basically question them. And it immediately made me flash back to another Michael McKeon movie, Clue, with the Jehovah's Witness scene at the end of that. Where the kingdom <laughs> of heaven is at hand. <laughs> Told you I didn't shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. <laughs> but what, hey, never mind that. We'll get, to, we'll get to that one. We'll get to that one. A couple of things that uh, that I wrote down in my notes as far as just being hilarious were, number one, my favorite scene in the movie is where her water breaks. <laughs> I laughed out loud. I, I did not see it coming. I had completely forgotten that. Her water breaks, floods the entire apartment. <laughs> yeah. I have two kids myself, seen this process, and it, I, it was funny. Oh, it was classic. And just her and her reactions, her voice and her reactions when things like that happen, <laughs> or pretty much anything. When the water breaks, when she sees the eggplants in the grocery store, and she just goes, Aah! Now that I put a note by because she's been in she's been uh, there for she, she's been know, in New Jersey for over 15 years and she hasn't seen or, an eggplant yet. Or seven zeros, if I recall correctly. <laughs> I also um, have a question. I don't know if we how, have, yeah. How how long uh, is this for seven zeros? Well, Let's see. So like Let's two and a half, three years? It's they like were, two and a half, three years. They were for seven Zerls, and by the time they got there, the daughter is 16. It's a couple – it's presumably one or two years from the original point before they get pregnant. I think he's a cab driver for two, for about two years. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe 18 years. So through the math Aaron's in my head, Aaron's not doing, using Aaron's my calculator math. at all, it's about two and a half, two and a half years per Zerl, 2.6, something like that. That's close. That was close. Yeah, I totally didn't use a calculator at all. Pay no attention to the typing sound in the background. Going back to Michael McKeon, he has a great anti-save-the-cat moment. You know, when you introduce a character and they save the cat, you know, you know that person's a good guy, he's a hero. That, that, that's, you know, just a screenwriting trope in itself. But he's got an anti-one with the hilariously absurd illegal alien <laughs> collar, electrical collar border security. Oh, Yes. So yeah, that that one definitely is obviously topical nowadays. It's, it's so absurd though. Even his little toy illegal aliens have 
sombreros on. The, the little details speech, of this movie, they had so much fun making them. And then his speech uh, when he's on the Coast Guard cutter to uh, the people <laughs> that are uh, on the ships, like, uh, go back home. There is no work for you here. We have our own problems <laughs> to words. deal with. Yeah, we have our own problems to deal with. Go away. <laughs> so blatantly <laughs> condescending. As a, as a mark against myself, though, I will, I will admit that I have used the David Spade line without remembering where it came from. All I hear is clicking. <laughs> uh, I, I have spoken to Iraqis in barter situations where they're talking so fast. I have no idea what they're saying. And, and I, out of frustration, yeah, all I hear is clicking, man. Yeah, I'm not proud, but, but yeah, I've said it. But now I remember where it's came from. Oh, there you go. Did you notice that the rules that Sinbad gives him in the beginning is what he follows to the end? Yes, I have that listen. Look good, be your own boss, and cash only. Don't get tied to a desk. Yeah. And that's what keeps him off the grid. He's his own boss, and he only takes cash. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps him off the grid, and he can use his own name, Beldar Conehead. Yeah, it wasn't until he – because he came – he got back on the radar by winning that contest. No, his logo. Oh, that's right. He was using the Remulac logo in his driving instructor school. That is correct. Uh, one thing, which is a knock against the movie, inconsistency of the teeth. Throughout the movie, once in a while when they show the bottom teeth, they're regular. And you, once you, you see it... Be, you're talking about before he got them capped by John yes. Lovitz? Yes, but even when they're on Remulac, the other people... Because mm -hmm. they all kind of talk with an overbite, so you see the top teeth a lot. But once in a while, there'll be, there'll be a close-up, and you see the bottom teeth, and they just they kind of half-assed it on that kind of budgetary issues. There were quite a few people in those scenes that they would have had to get prosthetics for. So, yeah. Uh, especially when you have three rows of teeth, which apparently did not seem to phase John Lovitz one bit. And open, please. Who was not wearing a mask as a dentist. And close, please. <laughs> Having to, uh, and when he opened his mouth super wide to where he couldn't fit the nitrous mask over him, he just shoved it into his mouth. Which looked really good from from a special effects, you know, just you know, yeah. a little bit of practical, uh, you know, the prosthetic there to for the dentist chair. I loved that so much better than the subway sandwich. <laughs> that looked bad. However, uh, yeah, I have a note on the subway sandwich joke <laughs> <laughs> that no one in the movie made. Just is it is it about her or about Chris Farley's mom? Both. <laughs> also, yes. But there was the other one. Um, as speaking as of someone that has not specifically gone through childbirth yourself, obviously, but has a family, how closely would you relate the Remulac childbirth phase <laughs> and why in God's name were two of his employees taking pictures in there? That's all I want to know. Because that was very they, violent. They all thought it was normal. Except when, that seems to uh, be a trend. Except there was uh, the Sinbad line. Get it off me. <laughs> he got he got sprayed during the birth. Oh man, that was crazy. Other than, yeah, other than the nurses fainting, like or there, there was the one scene. The nurse walks in, and then the camera stays still. The nurse walks in past the camera, and then just backs away slowly, like <laughs> she's scared for her life. I did like all of the the little jokes in the background that they never point out and never bring attention to, such as uh, at the very beginning, she's reading the Bible, and she's cracking up. Uh, <laughs> From what from research I said I, I did that supposedly she was reading Revelations as far as how the world ends and she was just laughing about it. So that they, they would say they don't explain it; it's just there. 
when he's a taxi driver, he brings six thermoses of coffee <laughs> in yeah. his cab with him. Later on, when she's grocery shopping, her entire cart is filled with light bulbs. Just light bulbs. That's a lot of light bulbs. One thing I notice is uh, he has to drive a car with a sunroof. Uh, when he was uh, doing all of his driving instructors, the sunroof was open. Otherwise, his head wouldn't fit in it. Uh, this apparently is not a problem for Connie, uh, as she is a little shorter than Dan Aykroyd. Do you notice who her two that. friends were? I did. I didn't put a note on that, but I remember seeing that later. Parker Posey and uh, Joey Lauren Adams. That's right. The same three girls Parker from Days and, it's, it was a Days and Confused Girls. Nice little throwback there. What's your take on Connie? I mean, you could kind of throw any actress in there. Um, I honestly, uh, remembering it before watching it, I had, uh, honestly assumed that this was like a well-known actress that I just couldn't remember who it was. Uh, and to find out that it was, I mean, nothing against her. It just wasn't a high end or an SNL actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of just a random choice. I think she did a very good job. Connie as a character was kind of interesting. Um, she's obviously aware that they are aliens. She is not fooled like everyone else in the world, apparently, that uh, coneheads are a normal thing from for French people. She has She uses some of the literal language that her parents use, uh, such as saying parental units instead of parents, like portals instead of doors, honing instead of, you know, other than that, she's basically like a model of a first generation immigrant to where she's grown up in this new planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's showing the, the, the next, next generation of, of assimilation in there. Yeah. I did like her high school talk with, with Ronnie at the football game mm-hmm. where they, they pretty much hold an entire conversation with just, yeah, I know. Yeah. Sure. Okay. No, me. Yes. That was fairly accurate for high school. And then turn around and walk away. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll see you later. Just literally turn around and leave. Uh, I have many, a wonderful memory of women turning around and leaving on me that I can relate to. Happens to the best of us. Yeah. We can cut that part out, right? <laughs> Never mind that now. I actually did not really care for Chris Farley in the movie, though. Yeah, his his scene in the uh, uh, in the car shop was great. He, yeah, where he he stands up to uh, to to Beldar, and then he he talks cool to Connie, saying, oh, "I was out back having a beer." You know, that was it was smooth. It was it was good. But then as soon as they start Chris dating, as well as soon as he starts dating, he turns into Chris Farley, and it mm-hmm. just the character like he's he slaps his head and he starts. You know, he, he gets whipped, you know, and just very quickly. And he turns into, uh, well, he turns into a flurn dip mm-hmm. you know, for, for a moment. But just, yeah, I just didn't really care for his character. That, that could have been any actor. Just didn't really care for it. I thought could have been done better. I was pleasantly surprised uh, at the soundtrack in the movie with the music that I had. To me, I would say it still holds up today. Things like Bare Naked Ladies, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Do you oh, notice they played uh, the song is Soul to Squeeze? Forgot the name of the song mm-hmm. <laughs> before we watched it, but they played it twice. It was uh, during the Flern Dip scene, mm-hmm. and then later on when they're uh, when they're using the the rings. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, but I loved the use of uh, Kodachrome, the old movies. Although I have a question flagged of who's taking the home movies, who's recording those. Oh, I'm sure there's some kind of uh, remote control Remulaki <laughs> hovercraft uh, that are because the home movies were after, uh, 
right uh, after she was born. So it was after they moved into the house next to Jason Alexander. So it could have been him. Because there's even the the video of them in the motorcycle, all three of them, and they pull up to the garage door, and it's got different angles, and it shows them opening the garage door with his head. Like, who's recording this? Mm-hmm. That's a valid point. I say Remy like Hovercraft. Blinded by the soft tones of uh, uh, Paul Simon. And also, from the for the time frame that they'd be in, so this is supposed to span 16, 18 years, right? Do they, do they mean- date the movie? Uh, with a year? Not really. Uh, not really. But it's supposed to span about 18 years. So does it start in the 80s or does it end in the I think 80s? it starts in the 80s and ends in present day, which would have been 93. I would assume okay. that. So early is that, that quality of home movie footage seemed a lot older or at least a lot lower tech. It was little Connie in the, uh, in the motorcycle. So you would have... If it was 93 and it's 16 years, that's 76 so maybe that's a little closer, but I don't recall the scenery back then being very seventies ish. More than likely, it's it's one of those just don't think about it moments where the past is nineteen eighty five, the present is nineteen eighty five. The movie about aliens we're supposed to think about. That's why we're here, man. Mabs. <laughs> Let me ask you this: What kind of costume party is this? Have you ever been to this gigantic costume party at a country club where? Uh, there's teenagers and adults and they're announcing golf trophies. I mean, that's what the upper class do. I assume that's every night at like Bushwood. Maybe it's a or Jersey least, thing or at least Halloween. Cause it's, as I mean, it's obviously Halloween ish. It was Halloween right around. I was going to say just right around homecoming era as well, which is well, when Ronnie crashes in the motorcycle, there's, there's pumpkins mm-hmm. wearing the, the other helmets. So yeah, it's definitely Halloween time, which they don't draw attention to, but just like, assumed halloween time but i mean in my high society growing up we we went to uh fancy dress parties at the country club with the adults all the time cough (laughs) (laughs) full disclosure i have never been to a country club or a fancy dress party what was uh jane Curtin for the halloween she was a tube of lipstick that's what i thought yeah, but it, it took me and Abraham Lincoln, it, that, the only two, the two best <laughs> costumes to hide from the FBI or the INS Jehovah's Witnesses. It took me you know, a few minutes to like to get that guess in my head, though, is what is she supposed to be? And then and then, yes, of course, the princess with the the yeah. giant Disney cone. So it makes me wonder if it makes me wonder if the Conans themselves decided to use those costumes in an effort to blend in, which means the rest of their time on Earth. They weren't trying to blend in, or it just happened to be the easiest costumes to wear with their particular head features. Yes. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. If Beldar has the know-how and resources to build a bottle rocket with that much firepower, why did he not conquer the world anyway? Or even try to? It's entirely possible that there, it's all show and no go. Oh, no, even the people were sunburned. It also may have taken them the 16 years to build that thing. And it, it, so here, here's a plausible theory. That was a failsafe when he realized it was going to take seven Zeros to get a rescue. So he starts working on munitions in his basement based off of things that he can get on Earth, which probably made it take a lot longer. Uh, by the time he actually got it working, his daughter is born. His daughter is assimilated. He started to actually like Earth now. Uh, he understands his daughter is a fan of the planet. 
And maybe that's when he starts rethinking this whole let's conquer Earth and starts thinking more of let's just get back home. Because it isn't until the end where he realizes, okay, well, let's just stay here. This week in Aaron's Theories, new segment. This is my new Unsolved Mysteries. Although the fireworks scene did give us Beldar smoking a cigar, so I can appreciate it. Which I, per, which I uh, honestly expected him to smoke in one giant inhale, very similar to the Subway sandwich. I wanted him to ha- turn around, hand him that cigar, and just go, and then pick another one out. Oh, that'd That's be a entirely waste. what I expected. But yes, I do remember the entire pack of cigars. I mean, the, the biggest laugh I got was probably the, the Subway sandwich and the ensuing comment from Chris Farley about his mother. Because uh, there are several levels to that joke. There, there would be a lot to unpack on that particular statement, yeah. yes. Yeah, we all saw it. We all know what it meant. No need to go into it. There are many, many different levels. They're like layers. Is there anything you didn't like in the movie? Uh, aside from, as you mentioned, like Chris Farley's character, not so much Chris Farley, the actor, but Chris Farley's character, um, I think that could have been a little better with a different casting choice. I like Chris Farley, just not in this particular moment one of the weird scenes that just looked really out of place for me maybe it was just and obviously it it fits in because it is on an alien world but when they're standing around the uh the high master and going through all of the all the spoils of uh earth's not so much conquest but safari up to this point before the attempted conquest when he's handing over all the things, obviously. There's the curtains encircling everybody in the background. And then every now, once he'll hand something to the high master, a guy will like float down on this curtain, grab the thing, and then just float up into no- nothing. Like, that was I mean, odd and never explained. Is that their job? Do they just hang around there to be human elevator or like bring me like elevators to a storage room up in the ceiling? What do they what do they do to, with that? Remulac itself is is odd in general. In their evolution, I mean, they have they have interstellar travel, they have firepower, they have crazy communication and tech skills, but then they're they have a they're still doing court system. <laughs> they're still doing gladiator style trial by death, <laughs> in which uh, obviously the Garthog that is to be narfled reminded me of a very uh, stripped down version of the Return of the Jedi Rancor. With a nose ring. Well, yeah, because he's he's street. Yeah, he's 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 hard. He's edgy. Yeah, this is the '90s. This isn't the '80s anymore. He's seen things. The <laughs> uh, thing that I was sad to see was the fact that the condom chewing gum never actually took off. Uh, I assume that was going to be a huge fad through the mid '90s. Never really happened. That was pretty funny though. The running joke of just the blowing bubbles <laughs> with the condoms. David Spade's so. reaction to the high master <laughs> chewing the condom was, was pretty great. <laughs> One thing that I completely did not remember at all and kind of surprised me was the shower scene in the, in the country club where Beldar drops his towel and walks away. Uh, and you get to see a, a full rear shot, uh, Remy like backside, a little disturbing. We saw way too much Ackroyd Ackroyd. In this movie, that that plus the the arena fight scene, there, there's a little too much Ackroyd in that one as well. I mean, did they have to wear just bandages? Weird choice. Say, if you think if you think back to like the Roman gladiators, they wore similar, but they at least had also had armor. The weapon choice was a little odd too. Everybody got a straight stick and a handheld hook. 
that looked like an eagle talon. Basically, uh, a little plot armor so that Beldar could eventually build his own driver or which wedge, was a good at least. a good throwback to his winning the uh, the golf trophy. Mm-hmm. So so that that was earned. So that's some character development. Character development wise, I think Beldar had a solid arc, uh, mm-hmm. all because of his daughter. I mean, he turned into a great father. Uh, you see him driving around the teenagers, gritting his teeth. He made his daughter happy, and then. As he says in the end, you know, he, he gives her the world. Yeah. The one big lesson that I learned from this movie is that if you're on the run from the INS, do not live in a house at the end of a cul-de-sac. That will definitely impede your chances of escape unless it happens seven zeros after your initial call for help. But it's all right because no one's going to see that ship coming. No, of course not. <laughs> they turn they turn all their lights off. Well, they engage their cloaking device. Yeah. Yeah, Beldar did not. Do I have to think of everything? Man. I also have in here, I would love to see this movie as a darker movie from Seedling's point of view. Which, yeah, that covers two, yeah, like, of, the, two of the other questions because that's that's the same thing to me because this yeah. this is a tale of an immigration nightmare from the, from the point of the government official. So I can see this being kind of a film noir uh, aspect from seedling yes seedling and uh i can't remember uh i can't remember his assistant's character's name where is it eli yeah, david spade yeah david spade seedling, eli, seedling yeah. and eli uh in a film noir hunt across the globe for these uh putting together the illegal clues. aliens yeah yeah complete with trench coats putting together the clues, you know, where they you know, like where they see the cones running away from the junkyard you know that's like all you see exactly. of these illegal aliens until maybe the Jehovah's witness scene and, almost, and they finally get a face to face heat style. And you get, and you get a little soft saxophone off the back and then a little seedling voiceover. That was the day we almost had them. <laughs> One of these days, Eli, my ship's going to come in and we're going to catch those evil. Something else that we have on our list is, uh, would it be appropriate for my own kids? Would I let my kids watch it at the same age that I did? And that's a resounding yes, because my kids watched this with me and we ended up watching it several times. Uh, they loved it. They had so many questions. So many questions. So, all the questions. Daddy, why does that bubble gum look weird? <laughs> Daddy, what are the rings for? <laughs> you are very familiar with the director's work, Steve Barron. Are you, you, you want to guess anything else he's done? I'm terrible at stuff like this. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You're talking the original nine, the original nineties ones, not the, the original. Uh, yes, still the best of all of them. The Money for Nothing video for Dire Straits, Ooh. and consequently the Beverly Hillbillies video for Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, Take on Me from Aha, uh-huh. <gasps> one of the best videos of all time, and his pinnacle, Billy Jean, Michael Jackson, his best song. So, so he, this time. guy came from the MTV world before he moved on to the SNL and Turtles movies. Now I'm kind of hoping we pick Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for next because I want to rewatch that. Speaking of uh, speaking of music videos, did you watch Conehead Love? I have not yet. I have been a little bit busy. Don't. 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 <laughs> don't. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is that going to ruin it's, me it's, for life? It's, it's, it's bad. Um, <laughs> say they, 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 they try to spoof a couple of uh, other videos. From I, like do, ZZ I do Top remember seeing and, just the screenshot and, from YouTube what looked very Robert Palmer-ish. And I've seen several people. Quick thing in there, I've seen yeah. several people try to spoof that. Most of them don't don't nail it right. But it, it goes into a weird place when you have uh, Connie Conehead in a operatic. <laughs> she's like 
flying like an angel singing this operatic chorus in the background. It's 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 weird. And this man. is when we get to so, the operatic section. One more thing I wanted to mention before we go towards our rating system. Are you familiar with the Nathan Pyle webcomics, Strange Planet? No, I'm not. Do tell. Uh, I'll have to send you one, but it's it's exact. It's It has to be influenced by the Coneheads because he explains everyday things in literal long adjectives and long nouns, just as far as he'll walk outside. Oh, the glowing orb is bright today. Ah, uh, yes. That sort of thing. Uh, actually, I do think these are the ones that you've sent uh via text a few times the, the aliens yes mm-hmm. okay then those i know i just didn't know the name but yes those are great uh yeah just the just the they ones. have to be influenced by this so the way that we're going to be approaching our rating system is that aaron and i will be giving a score of one out of ten ten being a perfect movie one being absolute crap five being an average run-of-the-mill movie in order to make this fair we're going to be adding in the imdb score as a third person so we'll take the average, and then we will uh, start keeping track of all these movies and make our gigantic mega list that hopefully we can maybe get through all these movies. It'll also be a good way to for us to score our own uh, rating system against the quote-unquote professionals to see where we stack up as far as having the same views on these movies. Because a lot of those, uh, like IMDb, TMDB, TVDB, et cetera, uh, a lot of them are based on literal like Nielsen ratings or box office ratings, which are more about uh, how many people watched, not how many people enjoyed. So, and sometimes, and then you get into something like Rotten Tomatoes, which has two separate, two separate metrics for those types, which is a little more accurate in my opinion. So Aaron, what is your score? So uh, for Coneheads for this movie, all the nostalgia that it brought back, the wonderful use of all the cameos that they had, but not to an overbearing extent, the still topical humor. I'm going to give this movie an eight. Oh, wow. I'm a fan. I was not as generous. It's not as generous. I am going to go with a 6.5. Oh, so we're, I didn't know decimals were a thing. Yes. Decimals are a thing. Got a lot of movies out there. We got to, got to differentiate. Yeah, but mine goes to 11. (laughs) And yes, you're not cutting that out. (laughs) IMDb scores Coneheads at a 5.3. So by our scores combined, Coneheads comes in at a 6.6. By our scores combined. I think that's pretty fair, considering I gave it a 6.5. Yeah, this is this is just the kind of movie. I, I really like these kind of movies. It was just great humor. I was thoroughly entertained. And say the with my kids loving it, we watched it several times over the weekend. And yeah, each time I'm laughing at a different thing. Okay, so next we are going to spin for our next movie. All right. Let's get it going. All right. Big spin whammy. to win. <laughs> big money, big money. No whammy, no whammy, no whammy. Stop. Six. <laughs> X. Six. Seven is the key number. That's six. Is. All right, we got, we got to do this one over. <laughs> you better not cut no. that. <laughs> no, all right. But I am going to cut it because uh, I, oh, I got the Maxis 10. I got it, no, yeah, I am doing it wrong. I got the Maxis 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how this right, works. Got, That's not yeah, how any of this works. Well, we, we got, wait, we got 351, I guess, at the max. Set. Okay. Okay. The number is 153. Oh, 153 on our list is Independence Day. Oh, my God. This is going to be have, fun. Oh, my God. We will see you again when we go back and watch Independence Day.
Well, that's all for this episode. Thank everybody for listening, and we hope you stay with us through this little experiment. We have a bit of a learning curve and hope to improve with each movie. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Check out our website in the show notes to see the full list of movies we'll be covering and our rankings thus far. You can also visit us on our Patreon, where we will try to post some random outtakes before the final cut. We'll see you next time on On Cinema Decon. Is that a giraffe? Is that a dying giraffe? <laughs> it's Winston. <laughs> Sounds like Stevie Nicks. <laughs> 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 <laughs>